0: Hello friends, we are back of episode 135 of our weekly highlights. This is the weekly podcast where we give you the latest and greatest uh, highlights that have been entered into this current week's our weekly issue. It is the place to go if you want to see the latest resources, happenings, and other great content that is coming from the art community every single week. My name is Eric Nance, and I'm delighted you join us today, and we are a little bit later than usual because we have a very busy co-host as joining me who just got in late last night back to his home abode. That is my co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, uh, yeah, you haven't been bored recently, have you?
1: No, I spent the last few days... Uh... Last week, almost out in Seattle, Washington, and uh, had a really nice time out there. Got to explore the city and uh, do some in-person conferencing. So uh, that was a a little bit of a good primer for Posit Conference in a a couple weeks where we get to do the same thing. So I am adjusting to the time change, but we are uh, powering through here this morning
0: yes yes you uh sound as chipper as always but yeah i'll completely understand if after this recording you need to crash for a bit so we'll we'll make this easy for you (laughs) i appreciate it yeah then check the notes here as usual i like to tell you who actually curated this issue oh yes okay well this is the double duty week because it was me this was truly one of those cases where i was a mobile curator of sorts because in between waiting for my kids at a practice and waiting at the local library with a Wi-Fi. I got this issue somehow out there. But it was always great to be, you know, be able to contribute once again. But it's not just me, of course. I had some great pull requests and, of course, tremendous help from our fellow R Weekly team members. And like I said, contributors like all of you listening around the world. Now, we're going to start off with a huge development in the land of R because we are about to talk about the next generation in object-oriented programming structures within the R ecosystem has officially arrived on CRAN and what package are we talking about here? This is the S7 package. Now the origins of S7 um, are just as fascinating as the package itself but it's very important to note on the outset that S7 is not built by a single person or a single company. The S7 is actually born from the Object-Oriented Programming Working Group under the umbrella of the R Consortium, which you've heard me mention a few times on this very podcast, especially some projects, working groups I'm a part of on a different side of the fence. But this group here includes some of the most brilliant minds across R Core itself, bioconductor the industry developers like posit and the rest of the community even somebody that actually works on my very team at my day job is on this is well. will landau but um it's a, a it's a very uh, powerful group here hadley wickham is the maintainer of s7 but as i said he's not doing this alone this is a very much a group effort and s7 if this is your first time hearing about it You can think of this as a middle ground of sorts between two of the most, you might say, popular slash um, existing frameworks that have the most mindshare with respect to object-oriented programming and R. That is S3, which is used very prominently by the tidyverse and tidy models ecosystem packages, and S4 which is a fundamental pillar of packages like Bioconductor. Now, I say middle ground because what S7 is trying to do is kind of strike a balance between the highly accessible, you know, way to build classes and methods that S3 brings, but S3 doesn't really have a lot of guardrails around it and it is very easy to do something crazy with S3 without realizing it. But then the other end of the spectrum is S4. Very prescriptive, very rigid, a lot of guardrails around it. But it can be quite complicated for authors that maybe are just getting into the frameworks of object-oriented programming and creating their own classes and methods. Again, both of these are hugely important in the R ecosystem. And S7 is not meant to disparage or, or anything like that is literally trying to find that best balance and what's interesting in and of itself is that the interface of s7 that you see as a end user for defining your classes combining your methods will feel very familiar if you've worked with s3 before and in fact fun fact here s7 are actually special types of s3 classes so that tells you we're already standing on existing infrastructure But it is adding a lot of additional features on top of it that are inspired by S4. So the package website itself, which we'll link to in the show notes here, is full of vignettes to get you started quickly, which I'll walk through my take on it, but also some of the more deeper dives into concepts such as classes themselves, methods, dispatch, terms that you've heard if you've delved anywhere into books like Advanced R, or other resources about object oriented structures but getting started there's a basic vignette that you know builds up a custom class with a certain set of properties um, those are called attributes in the land of s3 but the way you interface with it will sound very logical in fact that's a very conscious design choice that the authors of s7 are created here where the function names are quite intuitive literally a function called new class or new method new object or method itself and even some built-in shortcuts of different class types that you'll use routinely as you define some of these properties so that is very important right there ease the uh, kind of opt-in to using s7 or getting started right away another important feature is i would call better transparency to the end user what i mean by this is that in existing class structures like S3, maybe you want to know what's behind, say, the print method of a various S3 class. Well, if you actually try to see what's behind that method, it's pretty difficult, actually. It might just give you a very cryptic syntax, like it uses method, like classname.print, but you don't really know what's behind the scenes on that. Well, S7 is trying to help the user have a very intuitive way to call what is being dispatched at what time based on the different object types that you supply perhaps but also what is the code behind that method itself so again the vignettes have great examples of how you can extract that information as an end user in a very easy way and the other feature speaking of accessing you know accessing data behind these objects is that s4 really didn't want the end user to get a lot of information from these op- these uh, classes that it constructs maybe I'm being too you know too uh, verbose on that but um, s7 gives you a way to access as much of what's behind these classes or methods as you want via the at sign behind like the class name or the method name so you can get all that pretty easily now s7 yes it is hit cram for the first time but we've actually heard about this in public presentations before such as hadley wickham's presentation at last year's r studio conference which i'll link to in the show notes as well but you'll notice if you watch that video it had a different name it was called r7 back then so you naturally might think well wait a minute it was called r7 before; well, it's called s7 now well like anything in open source There was a very um, interesting discussion on the name, which we will have a link to the very issue in this show notes, because let me say it, naming things is hard, like anything in software development, but if you're wondering where the 7 comes from, that was one of my first questions, whether it was R7 or S7, it is literally the summation of the 3 plus 4 and S3 and S4, so that'd be... That'd be a fun uh, math question for my son, maybe when he gets back from school today. What's three plus four? Oh, yeah, the art communities have their take on that, too. But um, yeah, so definitely watch that talk if you have a spare moment, because that definitely gives Hadley's explanation on the key principles behind S7, which, again, are also documented in the vignettes that are on the package website. But that package website is also a place you want to go to as well because as i mentioned this is an r consortium working group that's behind this and on top of the vignettes that are linked in the package site we actually have links to meeting minutes of this working group as they're literally going through the evolution of this package because it is a fascinating development here i've i've even heard from my uh, colleague will landau who is on that working group about some of the early discussions on this it has been quite fascinating but you get a lens into that by looking at the various materials on the package site. So again, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. But there are some big ambitions for S7 as I close this out, my summary of it. Yes, right now it is another package on CRAN. But the goal here is to have S7 built into our core. That is amazing. It's rare that I get to see the genesis of an effort that eventually makes it into our core itself. I think the last time I saw something as, you know, in this framework was the alt rep functionality that people like Gabe Becker and others led that eventually made it into our core as well for more efficient processing of vector, vector types and the like. But this has immense potential. I have not used S7 or R7 before this, um, but I'm eager to try it out sometime. And in particular, to see, from my standpoint, how it compares to R6, which I'm starting to use more and more in my Shiny app development. But I wonder if S7 can play nicely in that space, too. So it is early. Um, the working group has been very transparent to say we hope that they hope that it gets adopted in the community, and that if there are any issues or use cases they haven't thought of, they invite you to get on their issue board to make an issue, and they'll be happy to talk about it with you. So... Uh, An important milestone, S7 is now on CRAN, and yes, the object-oriented programming world of R may never be the same again, but that's a good thing, of course. (laughs) So, Mike, what did you think about S7 landing on CRAN here? Well, I don't know who curated this this week's issue, but uh, a lot of these
1: topics are really timely for for stuff that i'm working on we have a need to develop a new model type object Um, and i had been debating whether to use s3 or or r6 Um, and it seems like s7 might be a great middle ground uh, when it comes to some of these uh, all these different options that we have for doing object oriented programming and on top of that, the documentation around S7 is just fantastic. The package down site is beautiful. The articles are great. Um, they really explain things clearly uh, and line up with, I think, a lot of the explanations uh, around object-oriented programming that exist in Advanced R, and I'm not even sure if there's an r for ds uh, section, a, a section in the R4DS book that talks about object-oriented programming, but I know that they're There definitely are sections on that in in advanced R that do a really great job uh, explaining object oriented programming, because to be honest, I think most people coming into R, you know, probably are leveraging it at the beginning for its, its functional programming. Uh, syntax and, and the advantages that you get there. So it, it's it's not, uh, at least most of the folks that that I know who are data scientists working in R, a lot of them didn't come from a computer programming background where you're learning about classes and methods and, and object-oriented programming topics. So we've had to sort of figure that out right later in life. I don't know if that's uh, that resonates with you at all Eric, but we had to sort of go backwards, right, into in learning about some of these computer programming concepts and and object oriented approaches.
0: Yeah, it certainly resonates with me even though I had technically my first exposure to programming was a java course, but it didn't do me any favors of learning any of this. So it wasn't until I got into R and started Building my own packages and seeing how others built packages, going behind the code, so to speak, that I started to appreciate this. But yeah, it was as if it was a brand new world to me. So certainly, I think if S, if these concepts are new to those of you listening out there, S7 is meant for you to get started quickly and then build in guardrails in your classes and methods that will help you in the long run and in particular check out this section on what they call validators of these classes where you can do all these like type to object checking or logic checking build it in right away and if you know how to write a function you'll be right at home with this it's very straightforward
1: absolutely i remember when i i started learning about object-oriented programming that the tidy x podcast was was really helpful so maybe we can give them a shout out um, maybe they'll have a tutorial an s7 tutorial video coming out soon uh, that's a little pressure on those folks but <laughs> they, they had a great one on, on s3 methods that, that really helped me get up to speed on the topic so we can put a link in the show notes to that uh youtube episode because maybe it'll help some other folks out there but i'm really excited i think this is a, a big development like you said if this is going to make its way all the way to getting integrated into base R and not just being a separate R package. Uh, that'll be pretty incredible. And if anybody's going to accomplish that, it's going to be the, the team that's working on S7. It's, it's superstar packed.
0: Yeah. I'm very confident that this is going to be an amazing adventure here. Um, and already, like I said, you can, if you're new to hearing about this and want to hear or see the genesis of it, yeah the package website check that out it's fascinating look into the development as well as the issue tracker itself again huge benefit of things being built in the open we get to kind of see all this firsthand so really awesome stuff
1: another shout out for package down it it is awesome
0: it sure is package down all the time um (laughs) Now, one thing the Package Down does for you, Mike, very well is it helps automate the process of building that said website, right? And imagine if you had to craft that individually yourself every time you made a package, because who wants to, you know, do all that manual effort? Well, our next highlight is going to give another take on that, especially in a fun context to help... You get started with automating your template R script creation or other resource creation, and that is the esteemed Nicola Rennie, um, who has been a frequent contributor to the highlights, is back here. And as I mentioned, we've we've actually touched on quite a few highlights in the past about automating some pretty tedious manual tasks and streamline that thanks to automation that you can do via R or even other languages. And Nicola, in particular, is a very active participant in the Tidy Tuesday initiative, which if you haven't heard about that, well, it's the weekly social data project where a new data set is released every single week. And then the community is encouraged to build their insights via visualization or other summaries. Heck, we've seen shiny apps created out of this to really share with the community and get inspired for what you can do. In fact, that effort is now led by the amazing John Harmon, one of our uh, regular listeners of this very podcast. you're doing a tremendous job, John, and yeah, you know, I'm always fascinating to see what happens on Tidy Tuesday every week. So back to the topic at hand. Well, Nicola, as I said, is a frequent participant in Tidy Tuesday. She often found herself taking the script that she made the week before, copying it to this new folder, changing the data set importing, but yet doing a very similar setup to like the packages she's using, some of the customizations she does for visualizations it's just a lot of manual copying pasting right and and modification that gets old after a while heck a little bit behind the scenes for all of you listening to this very podcast when mike and i prepare for a new episode guess what i do well i have a markdown template for our show notes in my system called standard notes which is a markdown based note-taking um self-contained F, uh, platform We use a service called Hedge Docs to give us a Google Doc-like functionality for collaborating on the notes so that we can put our, you know, talking points or whatnot. Well, guess what little old me does? I take that standard notes template and markdown, manually copied into the Hedge Docs, modify the date, modify the issue number, modify the curator, and then manually add the highlight links. Yeah, I want to automate that too. Well, Nicola is inspiring me to figure that out sooner than later because her post is a great walkthrough for how you can take advantage of ours' built-in functions with a little bit of clever logic to make all this happen. So, Mike, why don't you take us through how she accomplished this?
1: Absolutely. So I always get excited about Nicola Rennie's blogs. And this one, this particular post, is no exception. It's such a unique little topic with a a ton of real-world applicability. I found myself this week, yet again, writing the same readme section on how to activate and restore an RN project. I, I do it in just about every single readme uh, across every repository that we create. And this is the blog I needed to get me to stop doing that. <laughs> so, uh, so I really appreciate that. And when I think about functions uh, that programmatically generate, you know, template files, Gollum and use this are two packages that come to mind. For me, you know, there's there's nothing better than Gollum's use module function, which just, uh, you know, creates a brand new .r file with all the scaffolding that you need uh, so that you can just sort of fill in the important parts, the blanks. But I had no idea until reading Nicola's blog post that there's a function called use R markdown template from the use this package, because, you know, of of course there is, you know, what doesn't use this have at this point? Um, I have a super hot take incoming that relates to, uh, some of the, the, the content that was in this blog post. If you're ready, Eric, drum roll. I think R is pretty darn good at doing a lot of data engineering and sysadmin types of tasks like creating new directories, handling what to do if they already exist, moving files around. Uh, I am going to shamelessly plug a talk that I gave to the Boston R user group a couple of years ago on exactly this topic. I will also plug the FS package, which I feel is like the, the D plier of working with the file system. It just makes everything so easy and clean and really returns nice messages in the console about, about what it ran into, what's going on. And Nicole used the example of programmatically generating a readme markdown file, but, but then went a step further for actually creating a template for her blog posts themselves. And if you've read her blog posts before, you know that they're somewhat similar in structure. You know, they typically import some packages and some data, do some data prep, and then create a plot or a GIF at the end of that. And the template that she authored for this purpose is is really clever, uh, really easy to understand as well. So I would encourage you to check it out for yourself because I can almost guarantee you that there is some portion of your your day-to-day work and your day-to-day responsibilities um, that could be benefited from a template.
0: Absolutely. And, and, And hey, hot take second on that hot take because I... I use R so much for these lower level operations for setting up my environment, setting up, you know, directory structures, especially when I'm doing these HPC jobs. And yeah, FS has never let me down. It has been a huge part of just building wrappers around that. I do a lot of this with cloud stuff too, but it is first class. Yeah, love that. Love that workflow. So yeah, Nicola really has some intuitive ways to get that going quickly if you're new to that workflow but yeah taking advantage of what's built in and taking advantage of fs i know some people do get intimidated up front and figuring out okay i hear automation all the time how is it accessible to me but start small you know just find one thing i mean it even gets to hadley wickham's advice if you're writing the same R code like three or more times make a function out of it if you're only changing one thing each time so that it's easy for you to not You know duplicate so much when you don't have to um yeah i think learning a little bit of tricks here will pay off in many types of projects down the road certainly for me i have to have a lot of dynamic things set up for either simulations or other you know dynamic processing sometimes i just have a couple parameters to go from first and then i use those effectively uh, throughout the app. But yeah, just making your life easier if you have like a set of packages uh, like Nicole was doing that you're using routinely in your R analyses, just having that R markdown or that R script ready to go I think is a huge step in that right direction. So, it's a great great way to get started, but yeah, be warned, once you get a little hint of this, it is a rabbit hole that you'll go down probably not knowing it at first, but You do remind me, Mike, of another person I think would agree with us on this particular take. Uh, Jared Lander is also a huge fan of using R for just about everything out there. So he's got some talks about that too. So it's worth it, folks. It's worth it.
1: Yes. No, I think Jared set up some whole like, monitoring of the uh the climate in his house or something like that with his thermostats smart thermostats and, and all sorts of sensors and things like that, is his home automation so there's he's got some pretty pretty wild uh blogs around how to do all that sort of stuff in, in R. so i couldn't agree more if you can you can do it programmatically right we try to do it programmatically
0: Speaking of being inspired by the, what Nicola wrote there for the effort, the example I was sharing earlier, yeah, I think I can take a lot of those principles. There's one bit in there that I'd have to solve before I can make that happen. Well, both this uh, standard notes uh, program I'm using for the note tape for getting the template in there. And then this Hedge Docs platform that Mike and I are using for the collaborative editing. You know what's behind those services? APIs. Being able to blend these services together to help automate things is where I want to get to with this. Now, maybe you've heard about these terms before. You've heard about APIs. You've heard about JSON. And you're like, where, what does it all mean? Well, our last highlights just for all of you folks, and, and frankly for me and Mike too, because it is very much beneficial to us. But at the recent Cascadia R conference that was held about a month or so ago, uh, Ted Laderis, um, who is um, an educator on the Posit education team, I believe, um, he did a great talk that he calls a gradual introduction to web APIs and JSON. And this is an amazing set of material here. And he even leads off off the bat, if you want to follow along with the code that he talks about in the slides, he has a Posit Cloud uh, project already available for you to try to all out yourself. Um, but he, you can tell he's an educator at heart, right? He's, he's broken this up very very logically with the very building blocks here. So he talks about you know, the basics behind APIs, some of the things you have to do to kind of get to know an API better. Try looking at the documentation for one, trying to figure out whether things like endpoints mean, how you can actually try it out for yourself and then what's really happening behind the scenes when you enter an address in like your web browser or a, a request via the curl utility or whatnot how is that response coming back to you and in what format is that response coming back for to you because most of the time these apis speak the language of json it's json going in usually or maybe it's xml for those really cryptic ones we'll not get to that Um, but mostly coming out is json so getting familiar with that data structure it'll look kind of odd at first but it's very hierarchical in nature but once you get the hang of it it is really powerful to communicate between these different services together the HTTR2 package is the next generation of the previous HTTR package, which you often see in many tutorials. But HTTR2 has got some really handy, I would say, intuitive functions to even just establish the, the, the bones of your request that you make to an API and then inspecting what happens, the response versus like the raw format versus the parse JSON format, getting just the parts you need. Um, it's very very helpful so and again ted goes into the json primer as well and the best part is r has established packages already to help you translate from list objects to json back and forth very easily and httr2 will help with this as well because behind the scenes i believe it's using packages like json Lite and others in this space But yeah, once you get comfortable with lists, then you'll be very, very unprepared to work with API responses more regularly. So there's lots, lots to choose from in this, uh, lots to dive into, great examples throughout. So Ted did an amazing job with this this, uh, presentation. And again, I think if you're new to this world, this is the first place to go and he's got links to additional resources in in uh, in the end of his presentation there are ways you can play with apis for free you don't have to worry about cost because a lot of these are putting a lot of companies or a lot of community members are putting apis out there as a learning opportunity and not just for you know a service that they're building so lots lots to choose from here i mean lots to dive into so thanks to ted for making this and Yes, we are building custom APIs for the very workshop that we're doing at PositConf in a few weeks. And uh, Mike, it does sound like you can't escape the world of APIs, right? You've been in this world too. No, and I wouldn't want
1: to. Uh, <laughs> and like I said, sometimes it seems like the our weekly highlights are looking out for me. Uh, I'm in the middle of putting together a presentation for a client on deploying our models to production as REST APIs using Plumber. And I think you know that probably naturally is leading to more APIs in the data science ecosystem and more reason for us to learn about how to handle them and manage them. So thank you to Ted for putting this awesome material together. Great Quarto presentation. And perhaps this will resonate with some folks, um, but sometimes the hardest part about getting buy-in for folks moving from off-the-shelf model deployment tools to open source is just doing a great job at articulating the benefits and explaining technical concepts like APIs clearly. So if you're looking uh, for some examples of of, uh, places where this has been articulated well and concepts have been clearly defined, Ted's presentation is a great potential resource. He does a great job of doing those things. And something else that resonated with me was the slide that said, uh, step one, try to make sense of the API documentation.
0: <laughs> I know that. Feels. It didn't
1: say, read the, it didn't say, read the API documentation. It said, uh, try to make sense of it. And, uh, I hear you, Ted. I, I absolutely hear you. Um, uh, other things that that shouted out at me was, was the fact that JSON is the language of the internet. I'm pretty sure that was in all caps uh, in Ted's <laughs> presentation, and it's it, it's very true, right? This this is how different services on the web communicate with each other in terms of passing data back and forth, um, and that's that's really the key to building these REST APIs that, that can create efficiencies and allow different platforms and systems that you already have in place to talk to each other. And the HTTR2 package just makes things so easy for us in terms of working with these APIs from R. And as you said, Eric, you'll have to be comfortable working with lists in R as well, but we have great tools for, for working with lists in terms of the map ecosystem um, to, to boil down those lists and extract the elements out of those lists that, that we care the most about keeping. So fantastic presentation. Um, I didn't get a chance to, to go to or, or see any uh, content besides this presentation from the Cascadia R conference, but I, I know it's a phenomenal R conference and hopefully we'll be seeing some more content that, that came out of that R conference in, in the near future
0: yeah there was a lot of great content i heard from that conference and and actually yeah we'll have a link to ted's recording of the same talk in the show notes as well if you want to get an audio and video presentation of that but yeah please definitely bookmark that resource it is quite valuable in this world of api uh, development well, that's not the only thing great about this week. We got a lot of other interesting content, especially I, I went to town on a bunch of package updates, both new and updated packages, and we have a whole list to choose from there. And we'll take a couple minutes to talk about some of the additional finds that Mike and I have for this issue. So in this world of asynchronous plumber APIs, there is a new framework in town called Faucet. And Andres Quintero, who actually is an engineer at Absalon, uh, just recently did a a video stream demonstrating Faucet in action. And Faucet will take you a little bit to get your head around because it's not actually an R package. It's more of a kind of template, if you will, written entirely in Rust. But he shows a use use case of using Faucet to help bring Plumber APIs uh, asynchronously via a Kubernetes deployment. So it's really geeky with the infrastructure side of it. But I could see immense potential if you're using R models in production via APIs and you have a situation where you got a lot of users hitting these applications or other services that are the front end of the API all at once, you'll want to have a look at what Faucet's bringing to the table. So who would have thought that we have not one but two asynchronous plumber frameworks written in rust all in the span of a couple months so wow rust and r that's that's uh, that's an arrangement I'm probably going to see more of these days so that was fascinating to watch for myself for sure but uh mike what did you find
1: i feel like rust and nicks are like now the two hot things that i need to learn and brush up on. after
0: the workshop <laughs> it, after the workshop
1: <laughs> exactly after the workshop <laughs> So, one thing that, that uh, I wanted to, to point out, you said there are a lot of package updates this week, and that is certainly the case. And one that I use quite a bit is the rsample package, which is within the tidy models ecosystem for uh, sampling data and splitting that data into to training, testing, and validation sets. And um, a lot of updates there in version 1.2.0, a new function called initial validation split has uh, led to the soft deprecation of the validation split function um, that now implement this this three-way splitting of the data into training, validation, and test sets. There are some new updates as well to uh, data splitting survival objects such that they maintain their class of being that surv type of objects and a, a couple more improvements as well that you can check out in, in the news markdown document uh, in the changelog for that particular package on github so if you are somebody who finds yourself using the R sample package uh, you may want to check out this new initial validation split family of functions
0: yeah i've been uh, diving into a bit more of the tidy mozzly ecosystem itself just getting inspiration for the kind of things i would um use for our workshop and yeah it's fascinating to see these um, new developments and we had at the day job an internal package that was kind of manually doing all this training test you know validation set splits with cross validation and boy that was a lot to bootstrap ourselves but now with this our sample being even more robust, I feel like it's time for a refactor of that. If I could just clone myself to do it, but in any event, we all have that issue one way or another. And I will throw one little additional find here. It's more of a call to action. Um, the R Open Side project has their annual champions program, an open call for new applicants to be a champion for R open side. So. The applications and the application deadline is September 4th. So if you're listening to this, you'll want to, and you're interested, you'll want to check out the link we have in the show notes to the R-OpenSci Champions portal. Um, We've heard tremendous things about this program throughout the community. Heard a lot of great success stories. I've seen that featured on their blog recently. So if you're interested in giving back to the R-OpenSci project with your knowledge, you know, with your time, this is an amazing way to do it. So I would definitely highly recommend that. But I would also recommend looking at the rest of the issue as well. And that is available at rwiki.org where our current issue is right at the front page. And again, tremendous, uh tremendous fun curating this issue, albeit in my more mobile setup that I had to do this past weekend. But it's great to see all the content flow through. And I've definitely made a few bookmarks on some of the things I'm going to follow up on for my our adventures if you will but i think you'll have that same effect too when you see this issue and if you want to get in touch with helping the project the best way to do it is whatever that new resource or that new package you found and you want to share it with the world send us a pull request that is directly at the top of the page a link to the github repo it's all marked out all the time we do markdown for the show prep of this and it never let us down once so our our weekly is entirely powered by markdown so it's very easy to get up and running and also if you're looking to help out the project by being a curator we definitely have open slots so please uh get in touch with the team we have direct links to that in ourweekly.org as well and if you want to get a hold of us um, we you can find your trusty listeners on various social media I am at our podcast at podcastindex.social on Mastodon. And also we do have a contact page in the show notes of this episode if you want to send us feedback that way as well. And uh, Mike, where can the listeners find you? Likewise, I
1: am at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org.
0: Very nice. And yeah, we had a, a fun little uh, pre-show too, doing some fun workshop prep. <laughs> we we're coming along, but yeah, we're, we're in the home stretch here. It's only a few weeks away and imagine how fast this summer has gone, but we're we're excited for that too. And by the way, if any of you are going to PositConf, whoever you're going to our workshop or not, yeah, definitely come say the hi to us because both Mike and I will be there and happy to connect with all of you. All right. Well, I'm going to have to close the connection for this very episode, but I'm very happy you tuned in to listen to us, and we'll be back with another edition of our weekly highlights next week. And I'm also pleased to see that Ted uses the HTTR2 package, which is basically the next generation of the more, um, bah try that again. Well, I'll have a link to a recent YouTube uh, stream that, well, um, oh, darn it. Gotta get his name again. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I, I, I've seen it. Now I gotta find it. Guess what? I just made ourselves blooper material, Alright.
1: There's some improvements for data splitting to survival objects uh, to the.
0: the, the uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's contagious, Mike. It's contagious.